quality begets quality. That's a very big part of our sales pitch. So we let them know right from the get-go that if you want to get the great tenants and you want to keep your property value high, you want to keep it full at all times, because we have a less than 2% vacancy rate. So, and on my properties, I've had a number of properties that have gone seven years continuous without having a day uh, of vacancy. So in order to do that, you have to keep them really nice throughout the entire process. And so that means spending money. It is a common saying amongst real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to navigate the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties without losing your shirt or your mind. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent and team leader of the VIP Real Estate Group at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches and difficulties of keeping an investment property from becoming a money pit and time sucker. It takes a solid business plan, it takes tested systems, and it takes key team members to actually find success. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Maximizing Your Property Value. This is the show where we dive into best practices for managing rental properties so that you can really operate your rental property as a business rather than just a hobby. So I'm really pleased to introduce to everybody Ryan Schroeder. Hello. Ryan, thanks, thanks for, for having me. Thanks for coming in today. And um, Ryan is the owner and broker for VSM Real Estate, um, where he offers his uh, management services, uh, representation services for buying and selling. And um, also, uh, Ryan does investing for with rentals and flips. Correct. And in addition to that, uh, he also has his uh, general contractor license and operates construction pros. That's correct. So, Ryan, uh, again, thanks for coming in. Can you fill in our guests or fill in our audience uh, just a little bit more about your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. I started as an assistant to a business broker, uh, my father, actually, um, back in 2001. Did that for a few years. From there, I transitioned into commercial real estate. I was a hotel broker. Did that for four years. And then um, and then 2009, when that you know the market was just very upside down, I decided that it was a good time to go into the property management business because um, I just felt like no one could sell their house and uh, or without having to either come to the closing with a check or foreclose, short sale, something like that. And uh, so property management was the first business that I ever owned. And then from there, I've just been adding kind of bolting on different related services uh, so I can serve that existing customer base. So the first was adding to the mix the brokerage component because it made a lot of sense. I already had a real estate license for doing property management. And then from there, uh, buying uh, rental properties, we buy things that were distressed, fix them up, rent them out. Um, we bought about 70 properties that way. We've sold about half of them so far because the market's just been you know, pretty hot uh, for that. And then eventually, uh, the next step was to get into flipping and eventually getting my own general contractor's license because for the first nine years, I was basically outsourcing all of that and 
it did work, but at the same time, uh, there were a lot of issues um, and costs just kept seemed to go up every year, you know, 20, 30% and to the point where nothing seemed viable. So again, I had to insource that. So I guess my career has just been a, 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 a basically a progression of if you consider the real estate investment, the hub of the wheel, I just keep adding spokes to it that serve that uh, main focus. Yeah. Neat. Well, let's go back for a moment. Just how was it um, growing up in a household where, you know, your father was a business broker, mm -hmm. right? And so kind of, I'm assuming that's pretty entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And uh, so having that influence in your life, did that really help out to, on your career path? I would say that I learned to be a hustler from my dad. Um, you know, probably since I was 10 years old, I started having my own first business. I was, you know, doing car washes and lawn mowing and different things like that. I think I was an entrepreneurial person just by very nature. Um, I love to play Monopoly with the kids in the neighborhood, whip up on them. And, you know, so uh, it's always been in my DNA. I think that what I really enjoyed about working with my dad as his assistant for those years was getting exposed to business owners, their financials, their their types of businesses they had. And I decided very uh, early on that that was for me. I wanted to be a business owner, you know, partly for the prestige, partly for the um, flexibility and all this kind of stuff. But I never really made a great employee, to be honest, something about it. Um, I do much better when I'm just the one doing it and figuring it out for myself. I'm not a great uh, be told what to do type of guy. So, <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um so, yeah, well, really neat uh, understanding your background and how you got into it. So let's talk briefly about your management services. What is your kind of ideal clientele? Do you do single families, multifamilies, and in what areas of the Twin Cities? We serve the entire Twin Cities area, but our forte is in single family and townhomes. Basically, uh, we priced our management fees such that we would be more attractive to rentals that are about $1,500 a month and up, and we would be less attractive to, you know, under that market. Um, we found that we wanted to compete on quality rather than on price. So um, our leasing agents and our operations staff are very experienced and highly compensated and things like that. So we do charge a little bit more for it, uh, but then also the level of service that we deliver uh, matches what we're what we're asking for as well. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, and then your own investment properties have those typically been similar single family and townhouses, or they have been. Um, but I would say that I'm changing that a little bit as I go. Um, we would buy just about anything that we could make sense of uh, when we started out. And then as I've gotten more experience, I know now uh, what to look for a little bit better. So for example, I won't buy old houses anymore. I find that the, the foundations and the, um, you know, the electrical and plumbing and things are just a lot more problematic. So what I've been doing lately is going after townhomes and prestigious school districts. So like Apple Valley and Woodbury and, you know, anywhere that has a, you know, a top 10 uh, school district. And then I'll buy a distressed townhome, but fix that up and then rent it out. And I find that the advantage of doing that is they take care of all the exterior maintenance, uh, plowing and lawn and all those kinds of things. Just takes half of the management equation right out of the bit. You know. So that's why I like it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, one thing I want to ask about is 
hiring a third party property manager like yourself versus kind of building something integrated to um, your your own company. It sounds like you've done that and provided the service to mm-hmm. others. You know, a lot of people start out managing their own uh, just because one is not too difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they expand, they eventually need to decide, okay, am I going to hire this out or uh, integrate it within my own my own company by hiring employees and stuff? What has been your experience and kind of lessons learned from that process? There's been a lot of lessons learned in the property management business. I would say that uh, just as an example, when I first started out, our management agreement was two pages long. It's now 27 pages long. Our lease agreement was one page long. Now it's about 20 pages long. So each time that something happens that you learn from it, that gets incorporated into your knowledge base and your agreement and just your you know, your standard operating procedures and things like that. So um, to, to answer your question, I would say unless you really have aspirations of being a great property manager, for 99% of people, it behooves them to outsource that function because whatever they do as their day job or however they earn the money to buy these rentals, they're probably better off focusing on that rather than saving $100 a month for hiring a property management company. And then on top of that, we use professional photographers. We have these tools that we use to syndicate our listings. Um, We have uh, schedulers for um, showings and all this kind of stuff. So the technology and some of the systems that we have in place, we find that we're usually able to get around $50 to $75 a month more per rent than a homeowner who does it themselves is able to do. So when you factor that into it, you're really paying us like $25 a month to, to handle everything and you're not having to, to deal with it. And then the last thing I'll say on it is I learned about six, seven years ago, and this has been very instrumental to my success in the business, is do not have a relationship with the tenants. Because the moment you have a relationship with the tenants, you start to feel sympathy for you know their personal situations and everything. I found that by having it more black and white and just business oriented, I'm not so bogged down emotionally. I'm a very emotional, caring, kind of tender person, right? So when I hear sad stories and things, I give people a lot of latitude. Um, But now we just have very kind of strict procedures that we follow. And as a result, we haven't had an eviction in five years. We haven't, um, you know, we haven't had just nearly the number of problems. It's when you start to like deviate and give a lot of special treatment and whatnot that I feel like things start to go a little south for you. Hmm. At least this is my opinion. Yeah, well, that's an interesting perspective, um, and it makes a lot of sense. What would you say would be, how do you balance, you know, being that business-oriented, but still giving the tenant or resident a good customer experience and and not appearing like this, you know, slumlord that doesn't yep. care? Yep. You know what I mean? Well, I would say that it starts with the people that I have in the operations part of our business. They have 15 years and eight years of experience in property management. So they kind of know how to navigate the waters. They understand the laws really well. Um, that's part of the reason that we bought the construction piece into the fold as well is to provide a higher level of service when it comes to maintenance and everything like that. And again, not to sort of toot my own horn, but we have 215 Google reviews and a 4.5 rating. Uh, and so... If you look at the numbers, um, we are the highest rated property management company in the entire state by a large margin. Um, I have not seen, you know, like our our biggest competitor, who I won't name, uh, has has about a two-star review. And most of the other ones are in the 
the ones, twos, and threes. So um, I think you can still be humane and treat people very ethically. I think it all comes down to the standards that I set for my people that we're going to be um, courteous and professional and all this kind of stuff. But contracts exist for a reason. It's so that everybody can understand the expectations. So there's expectations on us, there's expectations on the owner, and there's expectations on the tenant. And as long as everybody is doing what they have agreed to in that piece of paper, we're all going to be fine. Yeah. yeah that, that's pretty impressive about the Google reviews. I mean, I'd say in this business, it's pretty hard to get positive reviews because typically you're the, you're the bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's coming from the owner or the tenant, uh, you usually get are the deliverer of bad news, you know? I'd say we'd have a 4.9 uh, review if it weren't for tenants having issues with the way security deposits are handled. Um, they always feel like nothing is their fault and uh, and that they should get their full amount back. But sometimes it's just not the case. And so that's where I would say 80-90% of all disputes arises in that particular part of the transaction. Sure, that makes sense. So if somebody's going to be looking for a third-party management company like yourself, mm-hmm. what would be some of the key questions that they should ask in order to make sure that you're a good fit for them? I think a very educated consumer would want to ask about what's your eviction rate, um, what's your delinquency rate, things like that. Um, if if you're competing, if they're looking strictly on price, let's say they're, somebody can charge $20 a month less, but their eviction rate is 10% versus ours is under a tenth of a percent. Um, I mean, that's a factor because if you're not getting your rent, what difference does the management fee really play into the scenario? Um, the standards that they place on themselves and the tenants. So for example, when we meet with homeowners, we go out to their house and basically give them a valuation. We tell them all the things that they need to do to make their property both compliant from a rental license perspective, but also highly viable and attractive so we can get those top tier tenants. And so sometimes that means spending two, three, four thousand dollars But if you don't see it the way that we do, that renting is a beauty contest and that you want to win the beauty contest and you want to provide the best level of service for leasing, the best uh, you know, maintenance being done on a, in a timely fashion and being done correctly. And if you're not about quality and you're just competing on price, I think that's when you end up having, I, I call it the high cost of saving money. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I've always found that in anything I've ever done, and I learned this lesson actually when I was 14 years old, when I had a fish tank, I tried to save uh, $20 on buying a cheaper filter and all my fish died. And then I, what did I do but go out and buy the right filter and then had to replace all the fish. And then I, so I spent more money because I had to buy the both filters and the, the fish. So from then on, it created a little bit of a, a mindset for me that do things right, set high expectations for yourself and everybody involved from the very beginning. And then you can, it's a lot easier to maintain high standards than it is to try and bring somebody up from you know, let's say a lower experience. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Great story about the fish tank. I, I think uh, so many of us struggle with trying to get a deal, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's be on a contractor we're hiring yeah. or uh, ter- you know something we're putting into the property, um, and then we have to replace it again or do something again uh, just because it wasn't done well. Absolutely. So. There's a reason that I pay my contractors $35 an hour, which is a bit higher than the the market rate out there for uh, just kind of general labor. Um, I've got some that are as high as 60. 
um, my employees and everything. I mean, I, I feel like I'm paying them on average about 20% above market rate. But by doing that, I have less turnover. I have higher quality people. I have people who share my passion for excellence. And again, I, the only time that I really truly look for a deal is when I buy a property because it's a kind of an unemotional transaction. By the time you buy it, it's it's yours. And now you're starting fresh with it. But for all other aspects, um, I always put quality first. That's a great way to approach things. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about systems and processes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what things have you developed you know, through your years of experience that really help your management company run smoothly? One of them that jumps out to me is we use a service called Show Mojo, and it's basically uh, you you upload your listing information when you're going to market your rentals, and it, you can create time slots that are available for the property to be seen, and the prospective tenants can schedule online, and then it brings them through a preliminary questionnaire. So it talks about you know what's your credit, what's your income, uh, your criminal background, things like that. And it does a pre-qualification. So if they don't meet the criteria, it won't even allow them to schedule a showing. So it saves time for my leasing agents, which makes them happy and makes their uh, basically their hourly rate, if you will, increase as a result. Um, it sets the expectations again with the prospective tenants that here's here's what you need to do to qualify. Um, and then since it's all done digitally, there's less human error. So once they schedule the showing, it gets sent to the leasing agent and gets put onto their calendar. And then if somebody else wants to see it, it will stack the showings either before or after the other one so that there's an efficiency there. So prior to that, we actually had a person on staff just taking phone calls and setting appointments and all that kind of stuff. So I replaced uh, basically a, a human salaried job with a, a piece of software, and it actually does a much better job for a much lower cost and everybody's seems to be happier with it because most people they're looking for these properties either on their phone or their computer. And if you can just immediately schedule right online versus having to call in and, and all that kind of stuff, the prospective tenants love it. So that's, that's one piece. Um, I would say technology in general has been very instrumental. So the property management software that we use, for example, allows tenants to pay their rent online, allows them to submit maintenance requests online. They can take pictures of the issue and send it in. The communication between the vendor and the tenant for scheduling the maintenance is done through that portal. Um, the property owner gets to see the copies of the lease, the the ledger, the maintenance requests. So I'd say tech is probably number one. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, way back when I started in real estate, I was a leasing agent and I can remember, you know, all the many phone calls of trying to vet people over the phone, make sure they're qualified to even show up at the property and then scheduling them. And yeah, it's quite the process. How nice is it if, if all that was done for you and you just had to show up at a prescribed time that appeared in your calendar? Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> and it takes and it also confirms the appointments, too. So, OK, you know. So I'm trying to do right by my leasing agents, too, because that's obviously a position that has notoriously high turnover in most property management companies, because yeah. it is it is kind of grueling work. You're you're going from Plymouth to, you know, Wyzetta to Stillwater or whatever in, in a day. This thing is so smart that it'll provide clusters of showings in just certain parts of town. So you can have all your north metro or your south metro showings all in one day, and it creates just a ton of efficiencies. Nice. So what property management software have you landed on? There's so many out there. We work with Appfolio. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
and we're pretty happy with it. Um, we had been on Buildium before that. Um, it had it, it was very visually appealing uh, platform, but it lacked some of the backend functionality. Portfolio still doesn't do a great job of providing accounting for the properties that I own. I found that there's really um, not a lot of great software out there that does third-party customer-facing property management as well as you know owned property management. Okay. So we actually still have to use QuickBooks to do the accounting on a, on our properties that we own. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. So um, one of the things I want to do in this conversation is lighten up the mood a little bit and talk about something that has you've experienced over the years that just either made you laugh hysterically or tear out your hair because it's just ridiculous either the way things happen with tenants or vendors or whatever just something that you would only experience in property management i would say probably still the wildest story ever in my property management career was um, we had a couple that we were renting to and they were in a very nice high-end townhome in egan and uh, they called me up one day, and again, this is when I still had sort of individual personal relationships with a lot of the tenants, told me that uh, the wife had brain cancer. And so I felt very sad. So I said, okay, well, how can we help? They said, well, we need to move to Colorado, and uh, that's where she's going to be able to get into treatment. I didn't ask any questions. I just said, okay, no problem. Just let me know when you're going to be out. They told me they're going to be out at a certain date. I go to the property. I uh, go to open the door, and the door's wide open. I walk in there and um, they had just trashed and destroyed the house. And it was very evident that two people had stood back to back and urinated all over everything in the house. Um, and so that made me pretty mad. Um, so I called them up and I said, you know, why would you do that? I, I, I already let you out of the lease with no penalty, no anything. I didn't ask you for any proof. And, you know, you trashed the house. Uh, and then the husband who was in the military, got very aggressive and started threatening physical violence and all these kinds of things. So I ended up having to sue them and uh, for the damage. So I go to court, and because I'm the plaintiff, I get to go first, right? I explain all the situation. I show all these pictures. Uh, I tell them that they, you know, the story that they told me and all the stuff for the reason for getting out of it and everything like that. And then it's the defendant's turn to speak. And he comes dressed in full, like military regalia, like officer and a gentleman type of a outfit and everything like that. And he says to the judge, Your Honor, I did six tours of duty in Fallujah and Afghanistan and, you know, blah, 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 and starts, you know, listing off his military accolades. And um, the judge goes, thank you so much for your service. What do you have to say about any of the things that have been, you know, claimed against you? And he said, well, I don't have anything to say. And so the judge goes, do you dispute that you that you did this damage, that you did these things? And he goes, he just refused to answer. So um, later on, um, I have a conversation with the guy after the court and I go, I go, I just want to understand why. I just want to understand why. And, and it turns out that his wife and him were actually just going through a divorce and that that was the real reason they wanted out. And for some reason, they decided to trash the place on their way out. So I got a lawsuit, a judgment. I had to figure out how to do a garnishment from the Department of Defense, which was no easy feat. Uh, but I ended up getting all the money and uh, making things square. But it was it was one of those situations where it really blew my mind. Like 
I I was so kind and so willing to help them, and then they just kind of slapped us in the face, and and then he basically thought that his military service precluded him from following the laws. And to be honest, I was a little worried because uh, I didn't know if that was going to be a great defense argument or anything <laughs> like that. But thankfully, the court didn't see that as any sort of a defense to the specifics. So, wow, that yeah, that is a a wow story. Uh, it's too bad, you know. We we really honor our our veterans and yeah. military uh, people, um, but you know, they're people yeah, exactly. Too. They are they are people too, and um, you know, uh, I, I'm sure he probably regrets the the decision. Um, but you know, he he ended up making it right. I mean, he paid for the damage, so uh, hmm. all is square. Yeah, well, that's good. There's some justice here. Yeah. So, I'm trying to figure out where to go from there. <laughs> You wanted more of a happy story, but sometimes property <laughs> management is not is, is a dirty business. I always tell people uh, property management in a large way is the dirty work that gets your foot in the door. And so, as you know, because we are in the brokerage business, that property management dirty work affords us a lot of brokerage opportunities. It also affords us the maintenance. Um, it also gets us personal relationships with our clients to know who wants to buy more and who wants to sell. And a lot of times we'll do deals with them together. But I always tell people that make no mistakes. It's 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 hard. It's it's not glamorous work. So, yeah. well, that that does bring me to another question. Like, so with that being the case, you know, how do you prepare yourself on a daily basis to just like have the right mindset and be able to stay with this business for a long time? It took me about two or three years in the business to realize that I can't take things personally anymore. Um, that's again, like I said, why. Part of the reason I started to distance myself from the tenants because it was taking a very strong emotional toll on me every time somebody would, you know, accuse us of wronging them or, you know, do something like that. Um, I had to basically come to the uh, the realization that you're going to do your best, but people are not always going to see it the same way as you. And um, you just have to be able to accept that and do your best and just keep trying to remain positive and optimistic as you proceed because... Um, if you let every little dispute or every complaint or whatever uh, drag you down, it'll be hard to keep a positive attitude and outlook. Yep. Well, that's really important just in a lot of things in life mm -hmm. that uh, we got to know who we're working for. Um, you know, we have a lot of customers. We have a lot of people maybe viewing or judging what we do, um, but we need to make sure we know <laughs> what we're doing it for. Yeah. Hey everybody, I'm interrupting the show quick because I wanted to invite you to a special event that I'm hosting at the end of 2019. You know, the end of the year during the holidays is a great time to be getting together with friends and family, making new memories and even new traditions. One new tradition that my family started a few years ago is volunteering at Feed My Starving Children. If you haven't heard of this organization, you should definitely check out their website. It's fmsc.org. Basically, they utilize volunteers to pack nutritious meals, and then they send those meals overseas to different areas of the world that have a significant need for food. These meals have made a huge impact in thousands of people's lives. And I really like volunteering with Feed My Starving Children for two main reasons. Number one, it gives you a tangible way to give back. It's not just giving money, which of course is important, but it allows you to use your time and your energy alongside of other people in a common cause. And number two, it fosters discussion of how we can live our lives serving others and not just be focused on ourselves. 
And since this is a family-friendly event, it allows us to live out this mindset right along with our children. So would you consider joining me? I've reserved 50 spots, and this is room for you, a friend, a loved one, to join with us and help out the cause. It would be really amazing to see you there. The date, time, and location is in the show notes. There's also a link that allows you to sign up and let us know that you're going to be there. And you can share that link with other people that you think might be interested. So thanks so much for considering it. Now, let's get back to the show. Tell us a little bit more about your relationship with your property owners. How do you uh, balance, you know, keeping them uh, satisfied with your services, giving them top-notch customer service, um, while, you know, not letting them eat up too much of your time or controlling too much of your how you're doing your business? Well, that's part of the expectations that we set when we uh, basically are, we're in that interviewing process where they're interviewing us to hire us. We're also interviewing them if we want them as a client. Um, and part of one of the questions that we ask, which is a very key question, is um, how do you approach maintenance? So if you're working with an owner who says, oh, they can just rent it as is. I'm not going to paint. I'm not going to put, you know, patch the holes. I'm not going to replace this burnt, tore up carpet or whatever. Um, I know right away that that's not a client that I want to do business with. Whereas we tell them that, hey, if you quality begets quality, that's a very big part of our sales pitch. So we let them know right from the get go that if you want to get the great tenants and you want to keep your property value high, you want to keep it full at all times, because we have a less than 2% vacancy rate. So, and on my properties, I've had a number of properties that have gone seven years continuous without having a day uh, of vacancy. So in order to do that, you have to keep them really nice throughout the entire process. And so that means spending money, right? Um, a lot of times people have an aversion to spending money. Um, so it's just a psychology thing. Like if you, if you share our view on that, then you're going to be, you're going to work great with us. And if you don't, um, you know, more power to you and you can go work with someone else. Yeah. Well, then how do you balance, um, you know, spending money that you need to spend to keep the properties looking nice, but not like losing all of your income, spending all that money? Well, one thing that's nice about having some of the better properties out there on the market is that you're able to achieve a higher rent. So you have a little bit more money to work with. Um, but there's certain things that are like safety and rental license things. Those are non-negotiables where, you know, you can't have just like a failed electrical system or heat that doesn't work. So um, those those will always have to get taken care of. Uh, and then when it comes to the cosmetic type stuff, I'd like to spend the money on where it covers the most area where you're going to see it the most. So like, for example, flooring, you know, that covers roughly a quarter of the interior of a house and, and paint, you know, maybe a little more than that. So if you can spend money on those things, it makes a pretty big impact. Um, but I always tell people, I'm like, if you're looking at the cash flow as your, your main source of, uh, you know, your benefit to being in the rental business, I think that's a little bit short-sighted because there's also the equity that you're gaining from paying down your mortgage and from the potential of appreciation. But also, especially if you're a real estate professional like I am, you get the depreciation deduction and some some tax benefits, and so um, plus over time, is rents have continued to increase. So, for example, the very first house that I lived in, which was a townhome in Burnsville, I rented it for thirteen hundred in two thousand eleven. It's renting for sixteen hundred now. So, um, 
you know, little by little as rents go up, you have a little bit more in the kitty left over for uh, cash flow and other things. Yeah. Wonderful. So I think you've touched on this quite a bit already, but let's focus in a little bit more on the income and expenses because especially for purely investment properties, the value is based on, you know, that income minus expenses, the net operating income. Um, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, mm-hmm. having high quality tenants. Um, but what other systems or processes have you developed to really make sure that NOI is as high as it can be? Well, a good example for that is I have a 14 unit apartment building that we own in downtown St. Paul. And one of the things that we did is we, we, the roof needed to be replaced. It was leaking and it just was old and everything. So instead of just getting the cheapest roof that you could possibly get, we got a little bit higher quality one that had a much better R value for insulation. So um, that ended up shopping $500 a month off of our uh, heating bill for the building. Another thing that we did is we implemented a rubs system, ratio utility billing system. So effectively what that is, is there's certain shared utilities in the building that you can't um, segregate and we build those back to the tenants. So for the year that we implemented it, we didn't do any sort of rent increase, but we just shifted some of the utility burdens to them. Um, That's one way to do it. But again, it comes down to a lot of efficiencies. So another thing that we did is we replaced all the light fixtures in the building and got LED light fixtures. And the company that we actually bought it from financed it to us over a three-year period so that the savings that we got on our electricity bill were about the same as the payment for the replacement of all the light fixtures. And so it was kind of net neutral for three years. And then once that payment fell off, then we're saving $300 a month in electricity. So I'd say all in all, we were able to shave probably $36,000 in expenses off of the building just through um, the the rubs, the electricity, and the the roof and the insulation. So, hmm. well, that's really interesting. Uh, making sure that your building is efficient, mm-hmm. so that you're not paying more than you need to in utilities, yeah. and then um, where appropriate, allowing the tenants to pay for what they use. Mm-hmm. I mean, asking tenants to pay for utilities is always a little bit tricky because they don't want to. So, I could have potentially raised the rent fifty dollars or displaced those utilities onto them, but. Um, my thought was they'll have a different approach with their usage if they're paying for it. Um, for example, one time we walked into a, a tenant's unit for a maintenance request and they had their, uh, this was in the summer, they had their thermostat set to 62 with all the windows open and, and because they were not paying for the, the heating or the cooling. So um, people waste things when they're not paying for it. Yeah. If you go to a wedding and it's open bar, you'll see half, uh, half empty drinks everywhere. Uh, whereas if somebody's paying nine dollars for it, chances are they're going to drink the whole thing. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, what about uh, within the, you know, backend management? Are there any systems or processes there that help the finances be more efficient? You know, I think it's prudent to shop for your insurance once a year. Make sure that you're not overpaying for that. Um, I think there's a few little things that you can do here and there, like if interest rate markets are changing, um, you know, kind of being aware of that. Some people, you know, will end up doing a refinance if rates move in their favor. Um, There's not a ton that you can do, but I mean, it's just kind of being aware of where you can save money. Um, And then the other side of that equation is the rents. So 
if you keep your properties really nice and desirable and you try and have all your leases end between May and September, which is prime season, we're getting 10% to 15% more on June 1st than we get on January 1st. So that's probably a bigger impact than anything you could do on the expense side is getting the, the lease duration to end in prime season. Yep. Are you finding that's still the case now? I know when I was managing properties and leasing properties for other people, um, that was our plan as well. But for my own properties since then, I haven't paid too much attention to it because I feel like the rental market is so hot right now. Uh, rents are going up every time I re-rent something. Um, was it still important to get those leases around the summertime? I still definitely go for it. Um, I've noticed, like, for example, my building in downtown St. Paul, it's very nice urban loss with exposed brick and, you know, 14 foot high ceilings and all this kind of stuff. We had difficulty leasing it for the very first time uh, because we're trying to lease it right now. Um, it seems like very few people have a desire to move in the winter. I, I always used to joke the only people that move in the winter are the recently separated and the recently relocated um, because you wouldn't choose to if you could if you could help it, right? It's hard to get help uh, and, and all those kinds of things. Um, but I, I mean, there's always an exception to every rule. So I think that sometimes it is okay to rent in the winter, but I personally would recommend uh, trying to keep it in the prime season because that's when everybody is looking. And then once a prospective tenant looks at a property and they, they kind of him and haw about it and then they go look at another one and another one and then they decide they want to go with the first one, but it's already off the market, then they get a little bit, uh, you know, their trigger finger gets a little looser and they start to be ready to execute on a lease on something that they like a lot faster. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Uh, it's all about supply and demand. It right? is. Principles of economics right there. Yep. Yep. So... One of the things that I'm trying to do for my own properties is to actually write out a business plan. And, you know, people think a lot about a business plan overall, like I want to get to 600 units or 300 units, whatever it might be. But I'm more specifically talking about the individual rental properties and like, what is my plan for maintenance? What is my plan for eventually disposing of the property and things like that? So I'm not sure if you've done anything like that, but what comes to mind about something I should put in my business plan for my property that maybe I haven't thought about yet? I would say one of the most important things I would look at is putting in high quality materials. So for example, when I put in flooring, I used to just put in something kind of cheap, but then it would be needing to be replaced every four to five years. So then I started buying flooring that was about $3.50 a square foot, but was virtually indestructible. And the thought process being, well, if I don't have to replace it every you know, five years and I can get 25 years out of it, that, that's going to show me a solid ROI. Um, another thing that we do is we buy our paint, for example. Um, let's say we're going to use, we use a, basically a Sherwin-Williams paint that's of neutral gray. Well, we negotiated that we wanted to buy a bunch of it from the manufacturer and we got a, a bulk discount on it. And by doing that, not only buying in five-gallon bunches, um, we know what we have. So if we ever need to go and touch up paint, it's not like we're trying to have to match the colors. It's, we already know what it is. We're getting volume discounts. Uh, we don't have to question, you know, what kind we're going to be using and stuff like that. So creating efficiencies from when you're doing the rehab, um, and, or just getting them ready for rent, I'd say that's one big place. Um, and then really keeping your finger on the pulse of the market, knowing, uh, if you're over, asking on rent or under and 
um, watching interest rates to see if there's a, something you could take advantage of in terms of a, a refinance and things like that. So I don't know if there's a, a real magic bullet uh, other than just to say you got to keep keep your head in the game. You know, if you let if you take your if you take your finger off of it and you just kind of let it go passive, I think that's when things can go a little bit south. So hmm. yeah. Well, I, I really think that the efficiency of our, our using those higher quality products is a good takeaway mm-hmm. from this discussion here um, because I have been in that situation where, you know, I'm replacing a faucet every couple of years or, you know, different things like that where maybe if I bought something a little bit higher quality, uh, it would last longer. So Yeah, that's exactly. I, again, comes back to the high cost of saving money. And so yeah. um, high quality materials make a huge difference. Not only are they more desirable for a prospective tenant, but, um, you know, cutting down on maintenance is nice. And plus it kind of hurts you a little bit, your reputation with tenants. If things are breaking all the time, that frustrates them. So you don't want to have that reputational loss either. Yep. That's always a a frustrating situation. If the tenants are always like, everything is breaking in this Mm -hmm. house. You don't want to hear that from your tenants. Again, that goes back to part of my rationale for wanting to get out of some of these older single-family homes because, oh, it's March and water's coming in through the foundation. And, you know, now next thing you know, you're stroking a $10,000 check for drain tile. And um, there's just no way you're going to see a return on that for the next five years. Yeah. Yep. Very good. So I want to shift the conversation a little bit to the rental market in general. We just talked about keeping your head in the game. And, of course... Big big point of discussion in in everywhere in the news is affordable housing. Um, over and then a lot of investors are kind of just wondering how long can these rental increases continue on for. So, based on your experiences with how long it's taking to rent things and uh, any concessions you might need to provide to prospective tenants, you know what's your feeling about the direction of the rental market. Well, I think every year there's somewhat of a seasonal adjustment as we go into winter. It, demand is going to slow down um, and it's going to pick up again in the springtime. But uh, when you talk over a longer period of time, um, I've been surprised by it too, to be honest. I didn't think that the real estate market, the rental market, uh, both of them could continue to just keep ascending for this many years because it's been 10 years now. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably the longest uh, period of economic expansion in U.S. history. So I would say all good things have to come to an end at some point, but I think that some of the the economic policies that we have right now with the tax cuts and the the, the Fed keeping interest rates low, that's going to continue to keep things going for a while um, until there's some sort of a larger correction in the market, um, probably similar to what we had 10, 12 years ago. Um, But as far as affordable housing, it, it is a real issue, and I don't even... I can't even claim to understand how you can create affordable housing because labor prices are so high that construction prices are high and material prices are high. So if you wanted to build something, it's going to inherently cost more. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you, I was just reading the other day too, that 53% of the houses in Minneapolis are are being rented. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's a rental economy uh, that we live in now. And um, everything from like Uber and Airbnb and some of these other kinds of technological shifts that we've seen. A lot of people in the millennial and younger generation, uh, they might not be having the same aspirations necessarily to to own. So yep. I think that'll as long as the demand continues uh, 
I don't know. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna continue to be a, an issue. It's gonna be yeah. hard for people to afford it. So. Yeah, another example of supply and demand here. Mm-hmm. So very good. Um, well, I think this has been a wonderful discussion. Uh, take some great takeaways so far. Uh, before I let you go for the day here, um, just I want to give our audience a chance to get to know you a little mm-hmm. bit better. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, why do you get up in the morning? I would say I love what I do. Um, I have this entrepreneurial spirit in me to continue to grow. Um, lately, I've been really working on vertically integrating my business around the real estate investment. And so understanding the construction piece has been a great new challenge. Um, I'm even thinking about getting a pickup truck and some <laughs> tools and learning that business myself from a more hands-on perspective. Um, but I have a very growth mindset. And so I'm always wanting to do more, learn more, conquer more, accomplish more, things like that. So um, that continues to drive me and, and, and will for the foreseeable future. And um, one thing that I've been doing more and more of lately as well is mentorship and helping other aspiring entrepreneurs who are in the similar field, you know, whether it be construction or property management or you know, marketing or anything that kind of touches what I understand and uh, like to help them. And um, that's been very rewarding as well. So I think anybody who's fortunate enough to do what they like uh, and love to do is is winning. So that's how that's what gets me up in the morning. Nice. That's great. Um, what is a person or event in your history that was really uh, changed you and, and made you kind of who you are today? I would say that in 2005, when I became a hotel broker till 2009, that was a great period of economic expansion. And I was young and naive enough to not think that that's just how things are. I kind of got used to uh, what I considered sort of easy money. And then when when you're selling hotels and their revenues drop 30, 40 percent pretty much overnight, then the values of those hotels drop by 50%. And suddenly no one could afford to sell. I went 13 months without making a paycheck. I basically all of 2009 didn't make a dollar when I was trying real hard at selling hotels. So that humbled me into realizing that I need to have some diversification to my income, not put all my eggs in one basket. And, um, you know, I kind of consider it like three buckets, the small dough, the, the medium and the, and the big dough. And so uh, the property management for me is kind of the small dough. And so is the, the rentals, the, the medium size rips that I make is more in the brokerage business. And then the bigger rips are in larger commercial deals or flips. And I try and keep my hands in all three of them now because I don't want to ignore the home runs, but I also... I'm content to hit a lot of singles and and try and win the game that way too. Yeah, that's an important thing for us all to understand, kind of the cash flow quadrant thing. Yeah, um, yeah, very good. Um, Well, if anybody out there is considering switching management companies or finally hiring one to begin with, uh, what's the best way that they could get in touch with you and even just to learn more about? uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, if they wanted to reach me directly, um, email is probably the best way. Um, I'm always in appointments. So my email is ryan at vsmrealestate.com. That's ryan at, and V is in Victor, S is in Sam, M is in Mary, real estate. Our phone number is 
8080 if you want to call the general office. But I would say if you have an aspiration to own an investment real estate portfolio here in the Twin Cities and it's residential and you share my philosophy of having high quality properties and getting high quality tenants and holding yourself and me to high standards, that um, that, that would be a great fit. And you know, give me a shout. And I've got plenty of references that I can provide of people who we've helped create substantial wealth and uh, and also some tax savings along the way. So if you really need a tax shelter, that's really actually my forte. So if you're a high W-2 wage earner, give me a shout. I'll help you to save some money. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming into the studio today and sharing all these insights with our audience. I want to just give you a small gift, which is the official Maximizing Your Property Value mug. Awesome. Thank you. And a quick unofficial poll. Uh, are you more likely to put uh, hot chocolate or coffee in there? 100% coffee. Okay. Very good. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, to our audience, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, be sure to hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, share this out so other people can uh, benefit from these insights that we have heard today. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. The opinions shared on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a solicitation for representation or investments in any specific offering. Please consult with your financial, legal, tax, and real estate advisor before making any investment decisions. John Stiles is a licensed Minnesota real estate agent with Bridge Realty. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing, or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day.